Welcome back to All the Things with Luke Tim. I'm your host, Luke, and um, actually, welcome back to me. I'm the one who's out of the country for a little bit over a week there, so uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you also left. I don't know, um, but I know I did, and it was an awesome trip. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I um, was not able to line up a guest for today, and that's okay. It was... Um, it was last minute stuff anyways Because I just got back on Friday So I'm still riding the brain But uh, today I kind of want to talk about Some of those things that were going on um, My thoughts about some of these things Like immigration And blah 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 But uh, yeah We're going to probably start with Kenya So um, as always Feel free to follow me on Instagram Luke underscore Tim Twitter is at Luke underscore Tim. Facebook is just my name, and I'm that guy who's on there. Uh, you can always email me all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com is my email. I'd love to hear from you guys, any topics you want me to consider. But uh, yeah. Yeah, let's dive in with Kenya. Whew, what a trip. So. Uh, man, I don't even know exactly where to start with, with Kenya and with mission trips. Um, well, here's where I should start. I am, I am conflicted. <laughs> always, always conflicted when I come back from these. I'm head back to Kenya um, to do a different kind of a mission here in, in a couple of weeks. So it's, it's turn and burn for me. In July, we're heading up to Kakama Refugee Camp. And um, if you've ever seen that that movie, The Lost Boys of Sudan, that is the very refugee camp we go to. It's uh, an incredible trip. I'm not going to lie. Uh it's hard. It's the hardest place on earth. Uh, it's a, the UN ranks it as one of the top three, I think, toughest refugee camps to work at, to be a part of. It's just rough. Uh, it's been around since the eighties and man, it's just not good. It's just not a good situation. It was one of those, one of those deals where it was going to be a temporary fix and it's become a long-term fix. And you always know that that is an unhealthy, toxic situation when, you try to deal with the crisis. You try to deal with a chronic problem with a crisis mentality. That's one of the things that we talk about for training for our mission teams. Um, we do put our teams through, I think, a pretty good mission training. We're using several different books and resources out there because mission work and uh, relief work it's complicated. It really is. A lot of the things that I think people want to do with their college gap year or they want to do with their church is less about doing good and more. This this sounds harsh. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I just came back from Kenya. So I, I warned my church on Sunday that my sermons, when I come back from Kenya, uh, I, I have to be careful because the filters are off. Um, I Each time I go, I lose one more um, one more give a shit <laughs> and I'm almost completely out of them. So it's just like filters are off. I'm going to just tell you the truth. 
if you're doing mission trips or if you're doing aid work, if you're doing relief stuff, you're probably doing it wrong. I'm just going to put it out there. You're probably doing it wrong. Go out and Google it and do the research. There's a lot of people who uh, host short-term mission trips, a lot of people who host gap year kids in college who, who try and come and do good. And behind closed doors, they'll tell you, or with you know anonymity or in other ways to kind of remain um, less than identifiable, they'll tell you, most of the time, we do more harm than we do good. It's just true. Sorry. If you went on a mission, if you went on to do some some service project or relief aid, and um, you you didn't have a the mindset that that you have to work hard to have, you screwed it up like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. And I say that because I screwed it up a ton of times before we got it right. And I didn't get it right because I figured it out. By the way, I got it right because somebody took me aside and was like, hey, I live in Kenya <laughs> and here's here's my full-time job is hosting these short-term trips and here's how everybody screws it up. And if you'd like to not screw it up, here's what you can do. So I took that to heart and I just worked at it and um, figured it out over time. But it did, it took a long time and it's hard for our team. It's a lot harder to just go and, and Here's where you get it wrong is when you go on one of these trips and you figure you're going to go and do some good and make their world a little bit better. You know you've got it wrong when you come back and you feel good. If you feel good after a a service event or a mission trip, you didn't do it right because it's about you. You feel good. Great. Cool. Awesome. You, You have now helped you feel better. You've, you've used resources from donors, from friends, from your congregation to make yourself feel better. Nifty. That is great. You know what? Um, instead of that, why don't you just take some resources uh, and, and just go buy some weed. <laughs> That'll make you feel better. Um, go go get some opiates uh, illegally and, and chuck those things down your, your gullet. That'll make you feel better inside. Yeah, it's not any different in my opinion. You're you're just looking for a dopamine hit, so don't don't do that. <laughs> also, don't go out and get addicted to opiates and stuff. But don't screw up your mission trip. Don't screw up your service projects. Don't screw up the good that you're doing for people who need your help by assuming you know how to help them. And that's probably the biggest thing that. <laughs> Cultural differences are real. They're less pronounced in the U.S. because in the U.S., I mean, there is definitely a cultural difference between Iowa and Texas. So we go down to Texas and help out after uh, Hurricane Harvey stuff. Texas people are different. If you're listening to this and you're in Texas, y'all are weird. Um, I I tried to use your word y'all there so maybe you would understand some of this. Um, And maybe I should use shorter sentences um, for you, you people in the South. I'm kidding. I love you guys. Uh, yeah, culture is different, but still American. So the state culture, clearly, the North-South, clearly different, but close enough that we that it's not so bad. But as soon as you start crossing borders and getting other places, cultural differences are really tricky. And I don't mean the small stuff like, you know, women should be wearing clothes that are culturally appropriate or, um, I mean, Kenny's got all kinds of... of interesting quirky things like uh the oldest person is the one who's gonna pray 
Yeah, and it always cracks me up when I go on a mission trip. Everybody in, in the U.S. is like, well, the pastor does the praying. That's that's his job. We pay him to do a few things. One of them is pray for us because we are too scared to. That cracks me up, but that's the way it is. In Kenya, it's the oldest person's job. And oftentimes they, they will confuse. Like if I'm there with somebody who's older than me and I'm not wearing a clerical, they'll say, Pastor, will you pray? But they're not looking at me. They're looking at somebody else because they assume the oldest person has to be the pastor. They, they do things the opposite way that we do because, of course, um, they, they do – you should train. You should be a, a part of a congregation. Do all these things long term and one day become a pastor. We do it the opposite, which is like, all right, now you're young and stupid and have no experience, but we're going to put all the information in your head. Now you're a pastor. Go learn how to be one. It's stupid and backwards. But anyways – Cultural differences, those those are the minor ones. That's just the surface stuff. I'm talking about the differences that are ingrained and deep. I'm talking about worldview stuff, the way in which people uh, just just filter information and absorb information. It's it's even deeper than values. It is, you know, people who live in faraway places most often have developed a different way to engage the world that is around them. And um, one of the biggest mistakes that I think leads to us screwing things up is we kind of go to these places that are, that have poverty or corruption or just bad situations. And our goal is to um, fix it in a way to make it a more American like situation. Uh, we go to I know a lot of a lot of Christians who have gone on mission trips to Kenya and other places and have done everything they can to make them more American. I have been part of of trips to like Mexico and places like that where you know the goal has been to go down there and well we see the the way that they live and how horrible, horrible it is, and we so we have to help them make it more American. We don't really say that, but that's what we're thinking. Because honestly, you have to stop and ask yourself the question, are are they of the same opinion that the way they live is horrible? And it's it you suspend judgment because maybe the way they live isn't so bad. Poverty is not good. Hunger, malnourishment, not good. But is it so much better? Is it so much better to live in the world that, that Western civilization lives in that is all hustle and bustle and stressed out and the amount of anxiety, depression, mental illness, suicide rates, all of these things that, that absolutely infest us? Is that better? So, Okay, we got all of these advancements of technology and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's better in some regards. But do we have joy? Every team I take there says the same thing. And I have I have taken, I was trying to figure this out the other day, I think I've taken 40-ish people with me on mission trips to Kenya. And I've done extensive um, post-Kenya conversations with them. Some of those are, are actually up on the Living Faith website um, podcast. If you search through those, you'll find the old Kenya uh, podcast. The, everybody says the same thing. They can't believe they're so full of joy. And it's so, they don't, nobody means to be insulting by that, but what they're saying is, how can they be happy without all of the stuff? I mean, isn't that how, isn't that what makes you happy is the stuff you have? 
Well, you tell me. You think about how happy you are with how much stuff you have. You know, Jim Carrey once said, I wish everybody could be wealthy for a day to realize how it doesn't make you happy. And how many tortured souls are out there who are billionaires and aren't happy with stuff. And you've gone through this with smaller um, experiences where you really, really, really wanted something. You finally got them and you're two years later at the most you're like so when i when i first ran into this i bought a pair of skis downhill skis never forget it was awesome um my girlfriend at the time i don't know we're in like fifth grade so if you can count that sixth grade maybe whatever anyways ah, coffee jet lag still happening anyways um yeah her, her parents owned the the um ski hill so I bought a pair of downhill skis because I could ski for free or cheap or whatever it was. And, um, man, I wanted these skis. I wanted more than anything. I saved up my own money from my own paper. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. My parents were like, ah, we'll see about this. Bought my skis, used them like seven times, and then was like, meh, never mind. Don't want to ski anymore. So, yeah, I thought that was going to make me happy. Didn't. Now, maybe downhill skiing makes you happy. That That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the stuff and, and chasing after things isn't going to really, in the long run, make you happy. And people in Kenya have that figured out, for the most part. Kenya's a complicated place. There's different people in different places. Um, people who live in Nairobi and other places like that are often a little bit more Western. But that's what the people mean when we come back from these trips and they say, I can't believe how full of joy these people are, even though they've got so little. Well, you're basing joy and happiness off of this Western idea that it comes from stuff. And how cool is it that you can have that without stuff? Now, what if we could also, if if they could have all of that joy and, you know, food <laughs> that, that would be great and that would be a, a wonderful thing where what we have in the u.s is all the food in the world to get us stupid obese and unhealthy and miserable cool so when when you go there with that anticipation of you see this thing and it doesn't match what you think would make you happy and you see their living conditions and you say, I wouldn't enjoy that. I wouldn't like that. Let's make this place more like my place. That is the way you do mission trips wrong. Just is. So um, those cultural differences are really tricky. You've, you've got to fight against uh, trying to trying to force them because here's the thing you're leaving <laughs> whenever you're done they're staying so if you go to guatemala if you go to panama if you if you go to kenya uganda wherever you go listen you're not you're not going to change their country's culture you're not that big a deal <laughs> it's just not gonna happen so you, if you try and change a spot and you leave that spot is going to be the same within 24 hours of your departure. I read an article uh, about a, a woman who was talking about gap years, and she basically manages kids, high school, or I'm sorry, college kids who do gap year projects. And it was really interesting. She said, you know, every year these, these kids come in for, you know, a short amount of time, and 
they they pay a bunch of money to get here they you know we they're lodged they spend their good their parents money usually on or sometimes tuition or uh, um, student loans on housing and food and they contribute cash to the economy and so that is kind of important it's it's like tourism it's a good thing they're coming down they're spending money there that's good but then they're looking to do something that's socially relevant or socially responsible and this poor woman has to just make crap up and so she's like yeah people come down and paint the same building a hundred times because what are you gonna do you're gonna dig a well you're gonna dig a well and and make it so that there's water available for a year before a part breaks or something happens and they can't get a new part or they don't know, they don't have the expertise to figure out how to fix this thing and they go right back to the, to the way it used to be. Um, or there was a, there was a moment when we had this really cool idea for a, like a cooking solution, solar cooking thing. Um, guy, good friends with, um, really bright, really bright guy maybe he's listening to this podcast so i'm I'm not saying this to offend your brother i'm just saying this is one of those before we went to kenya thinking man what if we could make something that they could cook with just using solar resources and then they wouldn't have to buy any charcoal we're talking to, to some of our kenyan friends and finally they kind of roundabout let us know yeah there's no way that'll work like, oh, why not? Because for a thousand years, they've been using charcoal. And nobody's going to stop doing the thing that they've always been doing. And once this solar stuff breaks, because it's not indestructible and it's going to go through rough usage in rural Kenya, they're going to go right back to the charcoal. And besides, even if you build something perfect that would never break ever, all you're doing is putting out of business people who make charcoal which I didn't know was a thing, but if you go to Kenya, there's, there's like little, that's a little industry where people sit around and make charcoal and then they sell the charcoal to people who use it for cooking. Um, one of my first trips, we built a house and I'll never forget. Um, this, this is where I started to suspect I, I was an idiot. So they're looking and, um, this guy was just standing next to me and kind of doing some interpretation and they're, our, my team is helping build a hut, uh, a standard Kikuyu hut with grass, thatched roof and all of that. When you know, put the sticks in the mud and do all the stuff and team is working on it. Um, getting a little bit of help and guidance from some of the locals on how to do it. And I noticed off to the side, there was probably seven or eight guys just standing there watching us. And I asked, are these people from the village? And they go, oh, yeah. So you want to invite them over? And you go, no, they're not real happy. So why aren't they happy? We're, we're building this old lady of an awesome new home. It's, it's good for her. She, you know, is, is uh, older and can't do it herself. And the guy goes, well, those are the people who would be building this if you weren't here. And essentially, you've unemployed them. Oh, crap. So we spent like 20 grand <laughs> to fly over. And then I asked, well, how much, how much would this cost to pay those guys to build this thing? And he's like, about 600 bucks. So we spent $20,000 to fly over to build a $600 hut and unemploy like eight people. Oops, 
definitely doing more harm than good in that scenario. So again, uh, it's just that it's tricky. And if and if everything I'm saying makes you conflicted, good. Like that's a big part of this is it should be a tension in your head that you're trying to constantly get your hands around and, and say, ah, is, am I helping or now hurting? And as long as you're asking that question, you're, you're probably going to get it right 50% of the time, which is a huge upgrade from 0% of the time. And maybe over several years, and you know, I've been going to Kenya now for well over a decade. Um, you, man, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I can bat you know, 600, 60% of the time. I feel like that's great. If, if I can six out of 10 times do something good instead of something that's either neutral or a little bit negative, feeling really good about that. So, so there you go. Um, but what did I learn in Kenya this year? I learned what I always learn. I learned that corruption sucks. Um, and it's everywhere. There's, there's no way out of it. If there are people involved and money involved, you're going to get some assholes. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Um, they're good at cheating and lying. And so this is the thing. Cheating and lying, when you have a system that rewards that, good people are at a disadvantage. It's like starting the 100-meter the um, sprint, but I'm, I'm starting 125 meters from the end because – I'm or I'm starting at the at the start line and somebody who's a liar or a cheater is starting 25 meters in front of me. Yeah, maybe I'll win, but probably not. It's just the way it is. So the this is the the issue that we we struggle with in Kenya and it's it's the issue that we struggle with everywhere because people suck. <laughs> it's it's just true. And I was thinking about this um flying home, I, I get weird thoughts because I take a lot of drugs when I fly. Uh, I take all of the Ambien. I take, uh, so I take an Ambien, a clonazepam, which is a benzodiazepine, which uh, is like a Xanax, only it's a slow release Xanax. And then I have a couple of whiskeys and then I wake up and I'm in a different airport. It's really the only way to fly. So highly recommend drugs. Drugs are good. Take all of the drugs. Anyways, um, in one of those, either going into the stupor or coming out of the stupor, I had this thought that um, I've kicked around several times, but there is there is absolutely evil in all of us. All of us have this capacity to do things that are terrible. I had uh, one of my members was visiting in Germany, was actually visiting a concentration camp, and was really moved by it. And I've been to a concentration camp. Um, I, I went to Buchenwald, and it was disturbing. So I, I, I know this feeling. I, I know this feel, bro. I get it. Um, it's like, is what is is that satanic? Is that you know how does God allow such evil? I honestly have, have over my time working in, in places like Kenya, where I've seen real destitution and. Um, just working with people in general in all kinds of different situations, I go, no, no, this is who we really are at our core. And when there are people who are, are appalled by evil, it is an external force that has been ratcheted upon them to bend their spirit or their mind or their will 
so that it's it's um, it rejects that kind of evil. I really do believe that it's it's in me, it's in you, it's in everybody. But it's like when you when you train yourself to not like something, and we do this all the time with food or or something that we drink or some you know some sort of sensory whatever it is. Um, you can start to associate that like like everybody's got that first booze that they they drink way too much of and now they they cannot tolerate it um even the smell of it or whatever it is or, or they start to associate something with something else and it's it's really powerful we all have that i am hopeful that for most of us we start to um feel like injustice or evil, or or those kinds of things, we start to associate that with bad and have a negative feeling about it. But as just as as that is trained, it should be trained by your parents, by by your culture. It should be trained by your government, by your community, by your church, by your school, by your teachers. All of these things should be working to um, reinforce in you evil is bad and and it's no good and be averse to it. All of that should be happening. But if that is trainable, here here is the thought I've, I've been having. If that is trainable, then so is the inverse. That you can take somebody who is averse to evil and slowly start to indoctrinate them and, and teach them to associate evil and bad with positive reinforcement. And I think that is is borne out in a lot of cases, everything from drug trade in, in Mexico to the you know, those atrocities that happened there. Uh, to the evils you find in corrupt government, uh, uh, Boko Haram, ISIS, all of that. That's, that's what it is. But what that means is that we are not born all good. I think it's one of the biggest myths that's out there that um, – and I, I don't have any hard, I don't have any hard and fast affiliations left or right. So don't get me wrong when I'm saying this, but I think that's a standard position of – um, what I would call the left or the, the Democratic um, Party is that people are essentially good. And if given an opportunity to choose between good and evil, that is um, you know, relatively similar in, in reward, people will 99.9% of the time choose good and that 0.1% is Hitler. I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think that's true at all. Ah, coffee's good. Um, nope. I think evil and good, um, probably closer to, to, depending on your context, 60-40. Um, especially when we start to take an account that, that we're making it harder and harder to define the difference or to find common ground. Um, but I mean, I, I I can make a, a faith argument, you know, from scripture, nobody is good, not even one. Some guy said that this one time in the Bible, I think his name was Jesus or something. Maybe it was Jesus. I can't even remember. Anyways. Yeah. So some guy said that in the Bible this one time and, um, 
I mean, it's it's all over in the New Testament. The, the New Testament speaks directly against this context of that everybody is born good. I mean, the, well, the whole Bible does speaks of this uh, speaks against that concept that you know, we are sinful from our mother's womb. All of that, um, but there's this biological argument too. So if, if you're in, as I'm a big fan of of uh, evolutionary biology and that kind of thing, which sounds funny, but for me. Um, as evolutionary biology seems to attempt to answer this question of why things are the way they are. And the answer is, well, there's a design and purpose. Well, there's a purpose and design. I just said those two words inverted, but I think there's a difference there. The purpose uh, results in a design. The purpose would be for the advancement of the species. So if we're talking do not, you know, a completely secular atheist perspective of why we are the way we are. And we look to evolutionary biology and say, well, we've evolved these mechanisms for a reason. All right, we'll take a look at evolution. Um, evolution does not reward compassion. I mean, it once you get into biological evolution, for sure does not reward compassion. Maybe once we get into people make the argument, and I've heard this argument before, that there is a level of consciousness that we get to. Uh, a community is is better than a not community. And the idea being that um, we evolve these mechanisms of culture and the desire for government and community and living together because it helps us survive. Okay, um, you can make that argument, but biologically, if, if we are fighting for resources then people are going to murder each other. That's <laughs> just the way it is. Look look at um, everything else in, in biology and say if, if this is evolutionary biology, if that's what drives things, this is, this is why you know, one group of critters is eating the other group of critters. I think that's another weird um, myth that's out there. It's like somehow nature, if, you, if we all got uninvolved, nature would be such a peaceful, happy – no – all nature does is murder each other. Everything is eating everything all the time. Nothing but there's not any peaceful critters out there. They look peaceful for for moments. I mean, it for little snippets of time, but everything is eating everything. Um so back back to us, if you hold that opinion that we evolved, then you would think that this one group of, of semi-human hominids of some sorts is going to want to murder an entire other group uh, for the better chunk of dirt. Um, and that's what we see, right? Israel, Palestine murdering each other for a chunk of dirt. That's a thing that's happening right now. So you can't make this this argument that that we are good by nature. So I think we have to make the argument that we must learn to be good uh, objectively, externally. We we must, with discipline, fight our way towards good. Which which brings me to this thing that I've, I've harped on before, and I, it really makes me angry, and I and I want to address it. For anybody listening, this is the temptation to slide into identity politics. I, I honestly think this is one of the most dangerous things that is facing our our, our American cultural climate today. Um, if you don't know what identity politics is, let me just kind of boil down the, the way it sort of works. Identity politics is is politicking not on a 
um, elected scale, like not trying to get into office necessarily. But playing identity politics essentially says my understanding is rooted in my particular identity, and that's gauged in all different kind of qualifiers of race, religion, gender, um, experience, socioeconomics, all kinds of stuff. And so we say that our, in, in a way, it's a little bit postmodern, but it's our identity drives our understanding of what is true. Our identity drives um, our worldview and um, our understanding and how we engage with the world. Now, there's there, the reason why it's dangerous is there's truth to that because – of course, my my particular life experiences color the way I see the world. Of course, my identity um, changes the way I see the world. I, I think I've told this story on the, on the podcast before, but um, probably worth repeating. I was uh, driving in a car with a buddy of mine um, who happens to be black, and um, making a super long story short, the cops pull up behind us with the lights on, and my first reaction I said out loud, oh, good, the police are here because we were lost. I was like, oh, good, the cops are here. And I looked over at him, and he has his hands on the dashboard, and he goes, only a white kid from the suburbs says, oh, good, the cops are here. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, we grew up different. (laughs) So this is why it's dangerous is because it's attractive to say our, our, our personal whatever, our identity, our history, our, the things that make us up, color the way we see and interact with the world. That is true. But identity politics um, takes the step to say, therefore, you can't understand me. And it's really just a way to silence anybody else's thoughts on something. Like, well, you, you can't. So for instance, does that mean that as a white man, I have no way to to understand his life or I, I cannot empathize with him or I, I cannot speak to any issues of policing or our culture because I'm not a black man. Well, if that's the case, then I'm just out of the conversation and I, I can't be useful. I can't participate. I can't add any processing power of my brain to try and help the situation. So – when it, when it comes to identity politics, here's how I always try and frame this for people. When you're talking to other people who as soon as you hear somebody say, well, as a – here it comes. As a white, uh, male, um, cisgender, blah, 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 going through all that kind of stuff. Or if they say, well, as a woman, f- you know, fluid gender, um, African-American, whatever it is, as soon as you get that phrase as a, you know, uh, here comes identity politics. And what it does is you have to tell people, we need to find some common ground. Our lives are like a Venn diagram and there's overlap somewhere. And that, that overlap is, is not zero. I mean, even, even if it's just some kind of biology, like we both has, have eyes, right? <laughs> we both enjoy keeping our internal organs internal. Here's like basic agreement. Can, can we work towards more? 
because identity politics does does not want to work towards any agreement. It wants to work towards a singularity that basically says, nope, there is there is no connection whatsoever. So um, here's what I say is for, for there to be common ground, for there to be a connection where we can grow and and maybe have change, we have to have two things, understanding and empathy. And um, they're two different things. They're both really important. Um, I'm definitely not saying one is more important than the other. I'm saying that they are useful in different ways, like a, uh, a cardiologist and a neurosurgeon are useful in different ways. And when employed the wrong way, they're terrifying. Like if I had a a tumor in my brain and a cardiologist was like, well, we're going to crack your chest open, I would have a problem with that. So we, we want to make sure that we're employing these things correctly. So understanding that cognitive ability to connect the dots and hold abstract concepts in your head, sometimes even in conflict with each other when you have a paradox, understanding that's important. Empathy is, is that feeling of shared experience. Um, to empathize with somebody is to say, I'm going to step into this with you and share some of your experience, whether very literally like going to a place with somebody, which is why I'm really all for foreign missions, is, is to is to build the capacity for people to empathize with others, to feel the weight of poverty and suffering. So, so empathy is important. Um, when we get into identity politics and it says, well, you cannot empathize with me because we do not have any of the same shared experience. The correct response is, okay, that's true. I, I cannot know what it's like to be a black woman who grows up in poverty, inner city. I can't know what that feels like because I'm a white dude who grew up in the suburbs and I've got no, none of that shared experience. So now I need to work to increase my understanding Okay, that's that's my goal. I, the The optimal goal is that I can empathize, and I have, so I have a high degree of empathy and a high degree of understanding. That's that's the optimal, but that's hard because what that means is I gotta go <laughs> to the inner city, and I have to talk with and sit with the people that I'm trying to connect with and and have a, a same you know, a, a shared ground, this common ground, I'm, I'm going to have to spend time doing that. And frankly, Americans are stupid and don't have any time. So if I can't do that, then I need to work on my understanding. So talk to me, help me understand, give me these concepts. But what identity politics does is the agenda of it is to say, no, 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 your empathy is low. Therefore, your understanding is always low and cannot get any higher. Or if your understanding is low, then your empathy. So if, if you're just one of those stupid Republicans or stupid Democrats, you cannot know. Therefore, you cannot empathize with me. Well, that that really breaks down working towards anything of compromise or anything of common ground. So that that's how I framed that conversation to say, okay, you're right. Here's what we're, we're we need to do is is we need to have more understanding. Yes, nobody's gonna be like no. I don't want you to understand. Nobody's gonna say no. I don't like empathy. I don't want you to feel no. no. But but when you frame it and say my understanding is low and my empathy is low, 
I can't really step into the skin of a black man. Can't do it. But can you help me increase my understanding? Because if you increase my understanding, I might find ways to empathize differently. So not necessarily with racial prejudice, but maybe we'll discover with increased understanding, I can say, well, you know, I do have an experience of prejudice in a different way. Um, And now we're working towards common ground. We're working towards happiness. We're working towards solving problems. It's brilliant. So this is, um, this is, I, again, I think it's it's one of those things that I also think is, by the way, a phase. I, I think that this is going to go away because um, it's real popular and, and things that kind of get popular in the culture eventually hit the grind of the economy and the real world of having a job. And frankly, um, there's just no boss who gives a real shit about you uh, and your your personal experience blah 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 again this is the job and this is the job that needs to get done and if you're not doing it as well as somebody else is doing it you're going to get fired somebody else is going to get your job and the company is going to make money because that's if the company doesn't make money then nobody has a job so it it's really it's like one of those things that's useful on paper and it's interesting to consider on paper um, but it always it always fails in reality. So there you go on that. Now, um, kind of making a bit of a transition, but um, I think it's related at least, is this debate on immigration that I essentially came back to from uh, Kenya, and it pissed me off <laughs> because it's this um, left versus right, Democrat versus Republican, people posting shit on social media, um, blown up about people ripping babies from um, kids from parents' arms and how that's really the Democrats' fault because it's their bad law and how it's not really a law and how it's this, how it's that. All right, everybody, take a deep breath. I want you to think about what side you've already decided that you're on because you already have and that's super annoying because that's not how we're really supposed to be doing this. What we're really supposed to be doing is thinking in terms of what is, what is true, what is real, um, and uh, maybe work from there and, and try and figure out how we're being lied to, um, you know, by everyone. <laughs> so um, here's the thing. When, when my kids come to me, and my kids are 14 down to four years old, you know what I never hear? I never hear, well, so-and-so started it. You know why I don't ever hear that? Because never once in my years of parenting my children have I accepted that as a valid statement. Not once in my life. And they've all figured it out. My children realize that they don't get to be a dick to somebody else because they started it. It's 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 moot. It's not a point of contention. 
so right now we've we've got this little little thing whirling around it so we don't know the background on this of course the republicans are like this is actually just the democrats well they're they're referring to this thing called the flora settlement which isn't a law so then somebody goes well it's not even a law okay it isn't a law it's a settlement it's this consent degree which essentially is one of those things where there's a lawsuit and one side goes well i'm not going to admit anything i did anything wrong in this lawsuit but i'm going to take these actions and and so everybody kind of gets gets what they want with nobody getting a bad rap. And in this case, the the bad rap people was uh, immigration, border control, and I think the U.S. government. Those things. So the Flores settlement said you can't you can't detain kids in a detention center with these adults. So what was happening was. Um, these families were crossing the border. They'd get picked up by immigration and they'd all go to immigration jail. They'd go to these detention centers. So you'd have, you know, these five-year-old kids uh, in the same detention center with their mom and their dad and that crazy drug-addled murderer (laughs) that they picked up solo. They're all in the same place. And they're like, yeah, this isn't good, which I think we all agree is not good. Well, one of the... Uh, I think unintended consequences, but I, I have, again, I don't, I just am so cynical. I don't believe anybody anymore. But one of the consequences of that are the drug addled murderers who are smuggling awesome drugs into the U.S. What they do is they snag up some kids and they cross that border and it turns, so the what the settlement says is that, all right, so a kid gets picked up. He can't be held for more than 20 days. At the end of those 20 days, um, he's got to go. Or this He or she, this kid's got to get out of here. We're going to get him back to parents or relatives or something or something or something. Oftentimes, um, sometimes they find relatives, sometimes they don't. Bad people do bad. Back to our beginning discussion, evil people do evil things. And... Um, so they end up doing this – the policy for the longest time was called catch and release. So people knew if I was crossing the border illegally and I've got kids, they're going to bring us – You know, they're going to catch us, pull us together. And if, so if we get caught, um, they've got to let the kids go and they're likely to let me go to have the kids to send us back across the border so we can give it another shot. Um, that's what was happening. If you don't believe me, just just do the research um, if, and, and maybe I'm not saying that was the majority or that was all of it, but that's that's how screwed up this. I mean, I was I was in Kenya talking to people who in this in this camp that we go to this refugee camp where they were people were coming and stealing children. They were stealing children. So don't tell me that it's not something that people do because people steal children in in Kenya. What they do is they steal children. And then they um, work with different adoption agencies because it's a moneymaker. People will spend a great deal of money to adopt a child because they think, oh, this child is is an orphan, doesn't have parents. I need to adopt this kid, which is a noble thing. And if you're going to do that, do your due diligence and spend some time in the process to make sure you're not – Getting a, you're adopting a kid that's been abducted by bad people because they can get ten thousand dollars from an adoption agency to give this kid that isn't theirs up to adoption. So, anyways, side note there. Sorry about that. Back to immigration. So, so that's true. Catch and release was happening, um, and, and and it's not a good thing. Um, and now this zero. So going from catch and release to zero tolerance 
Still not a good thing. But here's what everybody is missing. All of this that is going on in our conversation in the culture right now is exploitation of children. This is bad. Both sides. If you're if you're on one side or the other, you need a gut check right now and you need to ask yourself, do I really want to be on the side that is holding children hostage to get a bill approved through the the Senate or in the House and all of that to fix this problem that I'm using zero tolerance to create so I can get my border wall funded? Is that what I, I want to be with that group? Or do you want to be on the other side that is working against those things and highlighting all of the pain and suffering of families and children in order to cause political damage to the Republicans? Because either way, you're simply leveraging the suffering of human beings for your political gain. freaking pisses me off this this is what they are doing and and they're baiting so many americans into one side being like oh look we're trying and oh no we're trying to help the children none of them really want to help the children none of them want to help the children they're all exploiting the children they're using the suffering of the children to gain their political advantage to get the ends that they want all of them. You don't believe me? Then go back to the Obama administration. Remember that picture that came out <laughs> with the kid in the dog cage? Yeah, not happening now. That was in 2014 under Obama. Nancy Pelosi was like, "Oh, I didn't know it was happening back then, but now I know about it, so now I care." Oh, cool. So now you care because now it's politically expedient for you to care. Cool. And I'm not I'm not just blaming the Democrats because guess what, Republicans? Y'all weren't raising any issues back then either. So none of you actually care about these children as much as you care about your legislation and getting the things done that you want to get done so that you can get reelected. That's all this is. All of this. Everybody has found a way to do uh, pardon the phrase here, this is not meant to be racist, but all of you have figured out a way to to get yourselves into a Mexican standoff. You guys know what a Mexican standoff is, right? So everybody's pointing guns at everybody, so nobody's got an advantage. And then if somebody pulls the trigger, everybody pulls the trigger, everybody dies. That That's what this has become, except for this standoff happens to have, you know, women, children, and families in, in the middle of it. <laughs> so we're both sides are pointing guns at them. And both sides are daring the other side to pull the trigger. But this is not as though one side is saying, oh, come here, we'll help. <laughs> this is not what we're doing. This is, we should be, as a people, more and more outraged that we're being played. That we are being absolutely, oh, I mean, played is the best word I can I can think of off the top of my head. We are being exploited. Our emotions are being exploited. We we are being completely drug along in in this thing where they don't care. 
I've, I've, I've tried to explain my thoughts on this before. There's, there's two Americas. There's, there's the upper America and the lower America. And you and I are part of the lower America. Upper America's job is to retain control of lower America. Now, I'm not some tinfoil hat wearing nut job with guns and a bunch of extra food in my basement. Although, well, I'll admit I've got some guns and some extra food in my basement, but I, I don't I don't think the government's trying to take over. I, I don't. I think upper government's goal is to keep lower or upper U.S. goal is to keep lower U.S. goal fooled and bamboozled for the purpose of that they're not they're not trying to take us over and, and make us. I don't think they're trying to make us socialist. I don't. I I don't buy that argument. Um, I don't even buy that that we're not currently partially socialist. Anyways, Medicare, Medicaid, look into it. Um, what I, th- I think is is the upper America is like, hey, we've got all the money and we've got all the power and all the influence and all the opportunities. So let's let's stay up in upper America and fight and pretend like we're trying to give some of it to lower America. And, and then you know what they're going to do? They're, they're going to argue amongst themselves and they're going to keep voting us in to the place of upper America where we get all of the money and influence and power and opportunity. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's all, that's all that's really happening. Um, yeah, I, is it, is it, I don't, I don't, I'm not a deep state guy. I don't, I don't believe that that's well organized. Uh, I think it's just sort of the game that everybody knows to play once they get to that level. Uh, I think it's obvious. I, I mean, I just think that's the way it is. It is no, it's just its own little culture that we, we do these things in order to rile up our base to secure our next election. I mean, the first thing that every politician does on a federal level once they get elected is begin the process of getting reelected. <laughs> that's, that's it. I mean, they, they start their campaigning immediately. And of course, nothing is ever their fault. They're, they're, I tried hard, but you know, you know, it's all those Democrats that keep me from doing it. So you know what we need is we need your support. So you send in those campaign dollars and you get out to vote to keep me in office so I can keep trying. That's why there's never going to be a solution to all of the major issues in this country. Because if there was a solution, then they couldn't have this this fight and sell us on it as if somehow they're fighting for us. They're not fighting for us. They're fighting for their own positions, their own power, and their own jobs. So, um, yeah, in case you're wondering, I am a small government kind of guy. But um, – is there is there a solution to immigration? I should at least touch base on this. I don't know. But here's here's what I do think about immigration. I think immigration is super good. I, I think people coming into this country from other cultures and other backgrounds is healthy. It's good for us. I mean, it, it, it just is. A diversity of, of people is fantastic we thoughts and creativity all of that thrives in times of high immigration uh we can learn from people in in other places people seeking asylum have important lessons to teach us um people who weren't seeking asylum just are really creative hardworking, and want to come to america for a better opportunity they're gonna make our lives better 
They're going to they're bring not only their expertise and they're, they're going to bring their culture. And it's good for you to realize that, that your culture may not be the best and it, and it certainly can be added to um, and, and you can expand and maybe you have greater empathy and greater understanding and this is actually all good for you as a human. So more immigration is more better. <laughs> That's just true. Yes, we we do need to make sure that uh, we vet people so we we don't have just piles of heroin flowing over our our southern border. I think that's true, but currently our immigration policies and because again I know a lot of people who have become naturalized citizens from Kenya. Holy crap! Um, I'm going to go on a limb here and say 90% of the people listening to this wouldn't be able to be naturalized as a citizen because it is hard work. But for the rest of us, we, we just got born, right? We just we're, – we're naturalized citizens. We're not naturalized. We're, we're born citizens just because our parents had sex. That was – that's all of it. That is the entire – that that's the test that we passed was fertility. Woohoo! Um, yeah. So immigration reform, I think, is is not to to make it so that there's less, make it better, make it more. I think we should build a giant wall that that covers the entire border to keep bad people out, and then develop a process that makes. Good people from other places make it really easy for them to immigrate to the U.S. Should be simple. Should should be quick. They they should have a lot of rights really quick, and then all of the rights pretty fast. And they should be welcomed because they start small businesses. Um, they employ other people. They they work hard. <sighs> Listen, <laughs> nobody, nobody is no. There are no lazy immigrants who woke up kind of drunk or high and stumbled across the border. These these are people who are highly motivated, have great discipline, are running across deserts to get here. It's kind of awesome. These, these are people that I want to be Americans because a lot of the Americans who are Americans just because their parents had sex, um, some of them are pretty lazy, pretty shitty, not impressed, not impressed with you sitting around on your couch all, all fat and stupid going, it's not fair to take my job. Are they really taking your couch potato job? Is that the job they're taking? <laughs> are you are you worried that that? They're going to be the next Tom Brady, and then you're going to have to sit and watch a guy with brown skin be Tom Brady. Oh, so bad. Shut up. You're you're a whiner, and I got no time for you. This is um, is important, I think, to to secure the border because if you don't think that we have a heroin problem in our country, y'all just ain't reading the news. Um, And if you don't think that that heroin isn't coming from south of our border, you're an idiot. So you're not part of my conversation. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, we have to, we have to make immigration more easy, more better. And, uh, I, th- I think that that would be great if, if we can have more people from other cultures in this country. Cause that's really, really at the core of it. What this country is, is a conglomeration of a lot of different cultures. And it has been 
significantly good for us over the years. Um, cause I think America is awesome and, uh, I really like living here. And part of what makes it awesome is, uh, it ain't just one tribe. It's not just one thing. It's not just one people. It's 50 States. Each state's a little bit different. Um, there's different kinds of people in every state. We're not all the same. We're, we're different. And I, and I celebrate that diversity because it's cool. I enjoy it. And to try and shut that down and make us all one kind of a thing, um, that sucks. Let's not do that. All right. That's enough of me for today. Um, I think I'm going to have Duncan on here again pretty quick. Uh, But otherwise, until next time, be good.